and this is something we're not seeing a whole lot out in the world. Right? We're not seeing people building up both sides of an argument, you know, kind of respectfully and objectively, and then saying, you know what, this side weighs more. Uh, what we see a lot of is jumping on some side, whatever side it is, even if it's, even if you don't really know um, what's going on, you say, okay, that's, I guess that's the side I'm supposed to be on, and then I'm just going to argue for it, tooth and nail, and not give the other side any, um, any kind of building at all, or, or, or even a look. And uh, we want kids to be, you know, to be better than what we're seeing right now out in the world. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might we help our English language learners engage in quality academic conversations? What supports do teachers of English language learners need to promote these kinds of interactions? How do academic conversations tie into college and career readiness? We discuss these questions and much more with Jeff Sweers. Jeff is a senior researcher at the Stanford Graduate School of Education and the Director of Professional Development for Understanding Language a research and professional learning effort focused on improving instruction and assessment of English language learners and other diverse students. He consults for national and international teacher development projects that promote language, literacy, lesson design, and formative assessment practices. Jeff's research focuses on developing classroom instruction that fosters high-quality oral language and constructive conversations across disciplines. Many listeners will be familiar with his book, Academic Conversations, which provides clear ways to support students in developing authentic, meaningful classroom conversational skills. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeff Sweers as we kick off Season 2 of the Highest Aspirations podcast. Let's get started. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. It's a pleasure uh, to have you on here. We've been uh, trying to set this up for a bit, and we're really excited, as I'm sure uh, our listeners, to hear your your point of view. Um, So I want to get started with uh, the term academic language. And I think, you know, when I talk to people on the podcast and elsewhere about academic language, um, your name comes up frequently, your work comes up frequently, and it's, it's, it's definitely transformative for quite a few people. Um, But for the benefit of those, of those people and other listeners, I'd like to just start out by defining what academic language or academic conversation means to you in a nutshell. Oh, even the nutshell version would be about an hour. Um, So I'll do the nutshell, nutshell. Um, It's, it it ranges in terms of who is defining it and when, and uh, because it's such a a kind of a broad term, usually meaning the language you use for academic purposes, right? It's um, using, and and that could sound like uh, what you would call more informal or social language if it's being used for academic purposes, you could argue that it's also academic language. So yes, there's the typical highfalutin vocabulary, you know, uh, technical vocabulary, continuary vocabulary, plus more complex grammar. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've tried to broaden the sense of what academic language is um, over the years to, to meaning 
to, to mean something more, um, you know, using language to, uh, to learn and to describe your learning, particularly of, you know, academic subjects and concepts, and even more particularly, um, describing uh, more complex, uh, important key concepts in a discipline. So, you know, the fact that you, you know, use a vocabulary term and can define it isn't as powerful as being able to use that uh, in the description of, of some concept or, or key idea in a discipline. So I, I know that's not you know, extremely helpful, but it, it really, I, I think there, there have been too many instances of people just saying, okay, that's academic language and that's not. And I don't think it's that black and white. Sure. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I, my background is, is that of a foreign language teacher, and I think too many times, and I'm definitely guilty of it uh, in that field, especially as a younger teacher, um, teaching vocabulary for vocabulary's sake. But when my students who were in the little silo of the foreign language classroom um, left that room, they didn't really know how to use those words in context or even conjugations and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is that they, they need to be able to use those words to solve a problem or to get over some kind of uh, bridge or obstacle, um, and that it doesn't necessarily matter that the the language is, say, really formal or informal, as long as it's used to solve that. Is that am I on the right track there? Yeah, exactly. And there might even be uh, quote unquote errors, you know, grammatical errors or even errors of vocabulary. But if it's serving the purpose of learning or describing your learning, and it's you know it's moving students forward in their learning, then I would I would classify it as academic language. Yeah, eventually we want those errors. To, to go away, um, quote unquote errors, uh, to go away. But but in the meantime, you know, if, if it's if it's serving academic purposes and if it's really, you know, helping you build, you know, this this concept in science or social studies or whatever, um, then it, it I would I would say it's academic language. Great, and you alluded to this, but let's look at it from another perspective. Can we talk about like what what meaningful academic conversations? are not, um, what, what is it, what are those situations look like where educators might think, Hey, I'm, I'm using academic language. I'm having academic conversations, but they're not really. And I think you alluded to that, but could you get into that a little more? Yeah. I mean, a, a conversation, um, a conversation is typically a back and forth. A good conversation is a back and forth exchange between two or more people in which they're doing something productive. Ideally it's building up an idea or, or arguing, you know, respectfully, and productively arguing uh, something, whereas the the non conversation would be. And some people I've seen them even count uh, pair shares, where one kid shares one thing, one kid shares another thing, or the same thing. And you know, there's a little bit, you know, slightly slight back and forth, but it's more of a sharing of answers, and that's not necessarily a conversation because a conversation something new happens, something is built, something changes because I'm interacting with another person. Right. And so if, if and we know, you know, let's do this too. We've, we, we know people who, uh, they aren't really good at conversation because they just think it's them imparting knowledge on other people uh, in, in interactions. So it's an interaction. It's just not a conversation. And so I think that would be one, the pair share example. Another would be the kind of the scripted, versions that, I, that I've seen off and on and it's um, they're well-intentioned but but a lot of times the kids are like okay I'm just I'm just saying the script back and forth I'm not really doing the mental work of uh, interacting with this other person to build up ideas 
Yeah, that's a great point. And it's, but do you think those scripted conversations kind of have a place at the beginning or should we, should we be moving away from that completely? I think as models, they can be okay, right? As you know, here, here we're, we're, I'm modeling some of the language, some of the conversation skills that I want to see in a conversation, but then, you know, pretty quickly moving away from that because kids, uh, they know that they're kind of being asked to memorize stuff. And so as a model, yes, but, um, but to, move, to move past it pretty quickly so that kids kind of have their own, um, they're, they're doing their own building and not having the teacher, you know, putting words into their mouth all the time. Right. So, so that being said, what, what's important for, in, in your mind for teachers to consider when they're kind of setting the tone and starting to encourage these, these more academic conversations, moving away from that scripted dialogue or those just uh, interactions? Well, I think an important thing to do is um, help them build these, these, I would say, these crucial or these key skills of, of conversations, of, of conversing. And um, one, of the, one of the kind of the, the larger, I, I call it more of the, the management skill, is to um, have this notion that I'm going to build ideas with this other person or build at least one idea with this other person. And to do that, I have to both clarify you know, terms and clarify some of the ideas that are coming up in my, from my and from others, but also uh, support it with uh, evidence and reason. So th- th- those two main skills of clarifying and supporting are really vital uh, in, in conversation to build up this, this more solid, like, like I said, this thing that wasn't there before, uh, this, this new idea that we've co-constructed rather than just me, oh, I'm sharing my idea with you and that's it. It's really, I, you know, you're, you're sharing, you're, you're, you're pushing me to clarify and you're clarifying. I'm clarifying and pushing you to clarify. I'm pushing you to support ideas with examples and evidence and vice versa. So the more we do that, you know, the more we, we, we kind of build up this thing that wasn't there before. Yeah, absolutely. So building that foundation and then building upon it and, and more importantly, probably having the students do that. Mm-hmm. So if a teacher's interested, and let's kind of get into some specifics in, in moving toward this, and I know, again, as myself, I mean, there, there were a lot of things that I feel like in my first three years uh, of teaching, granted, I wasn't an, an ELL teacher, I was a foreign language teacher, but I look back and I think, boy, uh, those first three years, I wish that I had changed uh, some things more quickly. So let's say I'm in one of those years, I'm thinking to myself, I'm doing this strict, this scripted stuff. Um, I, I just heard this podcast episode with, with, with Jeff Swears, and now I'm really looking to build on those skills. What are some um, specific activities that you would advise people start with? Like they're just scraping the surface. They're getting involved in this. They have good intentions. They want to move forward. Where do they start? Well, one, one thing I often recommend is um, starting off with the pair share, improving the quality of the pair share, um, meaning that, for example, in a typical pair share, you share, uh, oh, this is my this is opinion on something. And then the other person shares, this is my opinion. And then they look up at the teacher and say, we're done. Whereas uh, each of those kids could have asked for uh, more clarification, right? So, so I, 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 tell, <clears throat> I tell kids when I'm working with kids or teachers to um, have students, when they're listening to the partner in a pair share or any interaction, to ask a clarify question and, and or ask a support question. So just to build up that, that daily and almost I've, even an early habit of pushing each other to clarify and support. 
even in the pair share. Uh, now, there's other activities that I often, <clears throat> if pe people have seen me, you know, there's, a, there's a, another activity where you do that, but you have three pair shares in a row, and your idea gets stronger as you're having these interactions. Mm -hmm. It's still not a full-on conversation. It's I'm sharing my stuff, you ask me a couple you know, clarifying support questions, and I answer those, and that becomes, you know, that, that becomes part of building up my idea to make it stronger and clearer than it was before. So one of the things we're really pushing for is stronger and clearer ideas, whether it's the product of a pair share or another activity, you know, a circle, a whole class discussion. I want kids in their mind to be thinking, okay, I'm bringing up this idea in my mind, and I am listening to others and also sharing kind of my current version of mine to, and so we can, you know, help each other build these ideas up. So I don't know if that's specific enough, but um, I, I would say, you know, start off with these paired interactions and partly because the paired interactions, you get a lot more listening and talking per, per minute uh, yeah. than, you know, than you do in some other structures. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you're, you know, you're, you're, you, we're not throwing away the basics that, that have mm -hmm. been proven, the tried and true pieces. We're just really adding uh, more onto them. And mm -hmm. it, it sounds like so much of this is just building um, a classroom culture of communication. It's, it's just mm -hmm. getting that mindset um, from day one, establishing that tone that this is kind of what we're going to do here. And so much of that, at least in my experience as a teacher, is just um, setting a, uh, a climate that you, that the students know that, that that is going to happen and that's the expectation. Yeah. And, and I would, I would even, um, I mean, I've done a lot of thinking and, and some writing about this, uh, this notion of you know, not only a classroom, um, not only a culture of conversation, which I think is important, but a, a, a culture of communication. And one of the things I've been working on lately is, how do we get more authentic communication? Granted, conversations are, are the nice thing about conversations is they already lend themselves a little bit better to authentic communication because I've got this other real person in front of me and that we're trying to do something, right, um, in, in real time. So following up with that, how do we encourage going, uh, going about having these kinds of conversations when many students sort of don't see the content as being particularly important to them? aside from a grade they might be getting. And I'm, I'm coming at this like from the lens of a high school teacher who experienced this. I mean, you know, it's hard to get mm -hmm. kids interested in certain topics. And so many times the, um, the, the carrot that's dangled in front of their face, uh, so to speak, is, is the grade. So how do we, how do we get about, uh, beyond that barrier? Oh, wow. Um, if I knew that, I'd be a, a wealthy person. Well, I don't know how wealthy I'd be, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that's a, there's, there's a couple things going on there. One would be it would be the the curriculum and whatever we're we're using curriculum wise. Um, I think just in general, you know, we <clears throat> we expect kids to show up. We put standards on the wall. And we say, okay, well, you got, you got to learn this, learn that, learn this. It's going to be untested. Uh, and a lot of kids that we're, I guess, I would say most concerned about aren't as concerned about that kind of stuff. Like you said, the carrots, the grades, the the praise, the points, and so. Not that conversations are the answer by any means. I mean, it also, I think there's a, a combination. There has to be, um, for a lot of kids, a better purpose than the test at the end of the unit. Sure. And uh, in, in many cases, I've seen some success, even though it's messy with, you know, project types, different types of projects, project-based learning or just projects in general where kids are, 
um, you know, particularly around an inquiry, they're, they're asking a question or they, they research a certain topic and they get into the depth of that topic rather than the surfacey, oh, we got to cover all these little things and you're going to get a point for each one. You know, there's a couple of questions. It's more, you know, the, get, giving them some agency in, uh, in kind of how they learn and what they learn and, and kind of moving beyond what is just going to be sitting on the test for points. And what's nice about that is, in a lot of ways, conversations can support that. Uh, they, the conversations in and of themselves aren't always, you know, in some cases, kids just like to talk to others, right? But if there's a topic they're interested in, then you, you've kind of got a double whammy. You've got, okay, well, I want to talk about this because you're going to help me build up my idea that I'm working on for my project. You're going to help me um, come up with this argument or um, even, you know, construct this robot or whatever, whatever the, the project is. And <clears throat> so there's kind of a double, a double motivation there. No, no guarantees, of course, but uh, what, I, what I'm trying to, to get across to people when I'm uh, working with teachers is, is trying to move, just move toward more authentic communication and, um, and more building of, of kind of meaty, interesting ideas and it's not going to be, a, it's moving kids up the spectrum. I'm not saying all kids are going to be all, all engaged all the time, of course, but I think more can be. And what we do with the curriculum, especially in some cases, we have to um, make some significant changes and, and even uh, rebel against the, the, the system in a way, because in, in a lot of cases, the curriculums were created to do well on tests. Mm -hmm. And so if the curriculum is created for that, that means they're not as interested in, I would say, even, you know, student agency, uh, really, you know, true student engagement and even depth of learning. And so I think that's, those are some things that we have to think about um, that, you know, do relate to this kind of topic of conversation, but it goes beyond that as well. It's, it's, it's a matter of how do we, um, you know, structure the curriculum and, and what and how kids learn. Sure. So it's, it's beyond what we're just doing in one particular class. It's more about how we're actually, um, structuring things and, and, and just to unpack a few things there. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned the, the idea about project-based learning, which by the way, I'm not going to sit here and say is some kind of panacea and is going to solve mm -hmm. all of our problems. Mm -hmm. However, I, sure. I do agree with you that when done correctly, it certainly increases student agency and therefore, increases um, some of the conversations that students have and perhaps, and I'd be interested to see what you, you have to say about this, perhaps um, help them kind of learn the vocabulary that for whatever reason might be important to them. If they're doing a project on something that's interesting to them and that relates directly to their lives, do you think that the kinds of conversations that they're going to have are going to help them more with, with, with learning the vocabulary that they need? Or is that sort of not considered the kind of academic conversation that we're, that we're shooting for? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to start off with yes, and maybe you can, you can jump in in a second if I'm, if I'm not going the right direction. But I would say that um, it, it, there's not a really a guarantee that you're going to learn vocabulary through the conversation. But, um, but the more you use, whether it's new vocabulary or the vocabulary, the more you, and the more you hear different terms from other people, because you know, leveraging the, the knowledge and language of other people is, is extremely powerful and I think has been extremely neglected in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, you know, the idea of just students kind of helping each other with language. 
I think that kind of, especially if they're engaged, especially if they're not just going through the motions, because if you go through the motions, you can do very little in a conversation. Right. You say one word, you say a sentence, and you look up, you kind of stall a little bit, you start talking about the party Friday night. Um, there's a lot you can, but if you are, if you do really want to get at this, okay, I really want to build up my claim for making changes to uh, what, you know, the, the community, making a positive change in this problem we're seeing in the community, or, you know, that, that would be much more real world. But you could also extend that to, I, I really want to, you know, argue this uh, for this point in history. I think that this caused this war rather than this. Whatever the case is, if you're more invested, then you're going to have better conversations in general. And that language, um, and I'm not going to say magically, but I'm not also not going to say it's, you can, you can just pinpoint exactly when someone learns a word or when someone learns a grammatical structure. But the, the more mixing that you have with different kids, you know, especially if they're referring to texts, right, as evidence and texts to clarify ideas, the, the more you get that, the, the, the more they're going to push their language skills. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I'm thinking about it. We did a podcast episode with a woman down in Jefferson County, Kentucky, um, who was doing project-based learning as a model for her students who were in danger of not graduating on time. They were, they were English language learners. And she did a lot of work to, you know, to, to give you the short story. She did a lot of work with the community. And these students were working directly with people from outside of the school uh, in one case, creating this like outdoor oven. Uh, so they were able, and that was something that these students had actually done in their home country. So they had that going for them as well. But in order to make this happen, they needed to have conversations. And we were really getting at in that particular episode, the the sort of um, people collaborating that wouldn't collaborate before. Some, some, some guy who had never met a refugee before uh, working with one to create something. But uh, that's what I was envisioning, the types of conversations that they were having about how to construct this thing um, in that setting where the student is, yes, they are doing this for school to graduate, but it's based on a project that everybody's kind of got their hands in, um, mm-hmm. I, I think is mm-hmm. a way to get beyond that. I'm just doing this for the grade or for the points. Yeah. And, and ideally we could get that, we could move that over into, you know, cause you've got a lot of teachers thinking, well, yeah, that's great. If you're going to make an oven <clears throat> and you're a high school student, but you know, how do we move it into, let's say elementary and middle, middle school. Yeah. Great point. And, and the curriculum that I already have. And so um, I think there's a lot more potential for these kinds of, and, and, you know, projects can vary in size. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Um, but the, the, the notion of a project where you're kind of giving this over to a kid and you're saying, okay, I, you know, I'm giving you some, some control over, you know, what you're looking for, how you're looking for it. Maybe it's a, like I said, a, an argument where you're trying to argue for something, uh, which makes it a little more interesting for kids because maybe they, they might change someone's mind who, who reads the final product. Could be a, a paper, a report, an essay. It doesn't have to be a you know this huge thing. Right. But along the way, I think in, in, there's also I, I think that project-based learning in general could use um, more conversations and more strengthening of conversations. There's a lot of, I would say, mutual, um, maybe even um, kind of symbiosis between the two that sometimes doesn't get leveraged. I think, uh, you know, here's your project and a lot of kids, okay, go. And they, 
go off. They they get on their their Chromebook. They research it. They write it, and they haven't had a conversation yeah, yeah, by right. the end of it. So I think one of the things that we need to do is is whenever we have something that's engaging like that, is we try to leverage as much as possible the student interactions. Even if someone's doing a different project, they can talk with one another and maybe get some ideas or you know build up some language, whatever it is. Um, so, so that, that those, that those interactions happen. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, you're bringing up something really important, which is, I feel like oftentimes we chase these kind of shiny objects. This is, this is, we're doing project-based learning now. Okay, do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we don't think about Mm -hmm. the other things. So shifting Mm -hmm. back into the conversation piece that we came from when we got into this project-based learning, um, detour here. I'm interested in the idea of uh, this question, and I, I'm not sure how I feel about this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, this question of kind of rigor that comes up in these discussions. I mean, h- how mm-hmm. do we do all of this without simplifying content for students who may be newcomers or very low level with the language? How do we maintain those, that, that level of high expectation that we want these students to engage with the content? Well, obviously, a newcomer can't engage in a full-on back-and-forth complex conversation, right, with... Um, right off the bat. So there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, scaffolding, on-ramping, whatever, and a, and a lot of, uh, I would say, a lot of uh, other activities that can help eventually build those conversation skills. And I'm not saying <clears throat> don't have them interact, because there can be uh, interactions in which one, let's say, more fluent student can, um, can at least provide some really good input to that other student, and then that other student can practice saying some of the output that he or she is able to come up with, right? I'm not saying don't have them interact, and I definitely think interact, but you also have to prepare kids to say, you know what, sometimes you're, you're, you're going to um, you're have to make yourself understood, and that's one skill in life, is, is make, you know, if you're talking with a fluent student, and also the, the, the other student, like the newcomer, you know, one of the things that that you know, we want to do is we want to share ideas between each other, and we have to figure out how to do it. So in some cases, they're going to be acting things out. They're going to be drawing. They're going to be. It's still an academic idea, and there's still a lot of uh, language and I would say you know, cog- cognitive uh, cognitive skills surrounding it. But it's not going to sound the same as two fluent speakers talking. Uh, so the idea of rigor, of course is it's, it's still rigorous, particularly language-wise, but you also want to make sure that the, the, the kid, um, the newcomer, understands you know, more or less basic the, 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 the concept or the idea that is being built. And that might not come from another student. It might come from the teacher. It might come from a presentation. It might come from a text. Um, you're, still, you know, you're still not saying, okay, you just go over here and learn about um, colors. <laughs> Right, you're still doing the, the content, but you do have to do some extra scaffolding and some extra work, and and tell the kids they have to be patient. Right, it, it, it's right. also a matter of you know they're, they're going to be they they are not going to be able to say everything, and I'm not going to I'm not going to pressure them to say everything that uh, you know intermediate to fluent speakers are saying. Yeah, of course, and you know it sounds like it, it's important that every sort of party or every group in the room, whether you're a high level uh, language student or a low level language student, kind of Mm -hmm. understand each other and understand the process. And I think there's a lot of um, social and cultural benefits to that as well. You know, just being patient Mm -hmm. with one another and understanding where we have strengths and where we have weaknesses. And also certainly understanding that just because a student doesn't yet possess the language, uh, that they don't possess um, the content that they just, they just can't kind of unlock that, uh, 
that 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 um, tool, exactly. this being language to get it out. Yeah, exactly. So I want to shift over a little bit to um, to this idea of of academic conversations being being important in the idea of uh, of college and, and career readiness. And I think like we talk now a lot about. Um, or, or we're living in a world of these standards-based kind of high-stakes assessment environments in which any, many educators are finding themselves working. So how do we kind of mitigate those, those two worlds, the idea of promoting these academic conversations as becoming ready for the next step in life and also getting these kids ready for kind of the, the normal, I guess, so to speak, challenges that students have in terms of these high-stakes assessments. And this is Obviously, a difficult question, but one that's on a lot of people's minds, I think. Yeah, um, I, you know, I have the luxury of not being an administrator under test score pressure, right? And <laughs> it's a, a, a it is a luxury. <clears throat> it is a luxury, but uh, there are, you know, there's a few studies here and there where they have done uh, some really heavy pushes on conversations, and the test scores have either done the same or gone up, right? I haven't seen many cases where, or any cases where someone has done a you know, really solid job on conversations and then the test scores went down. So um, you know, that, that's one thing. In, in, in many cases, what I have heard and I, I kind of observed is when kids are involved in these conversations, they tend to be more interested in school. So if, if the teacher is saying, okay, you know, I, I want you guys to talk about this, they feel a little more agency and even a little more invested in school. Doesn't mean they're really excited to, you know, work their, their, buns off to do well on a test at the end of the year necessarily. But um, oftentimes it means they're just more engaged in, in thinking about school, thinking about some of the topics, and even in some cases because you're giving them time to talk, um, it's, you know, they're, they're, they might be more interested in the, the, the topic in general because you're allowing them some, a little bit of control, a little bit of uh, their own you know, opinion over how, how they're learning, right? And, this, and I'm, I'm talking across the content areas. This isn't just social studies or ELA. Um, so again, I don't have any, you know, when I, <clears throat> I, I, when I give presentations, um, I often say that same thing. You know, test scores might go up. They might even, they, you know, they, there's even a chance they would go down. But, you know, as educators, uh, you know, what 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 do we want to do for students? What are we trying? What kind of students do we want by the end of grade twelve? Sure. And um, what's expected in both college and beyond? And of course, we all you know you see all the the, the studies or I don't know if they're called studies or not, but the the surveys of of employers and you know up there in the top three skills, it's always communication. It's usually oral yep. communication skills, and so. And I often give the example, not that the, not that the job interview is the be-all, end-all, but um, I give an example of a job interview where, you know, the, the employer asks a question such as, so, you know, what are your strengths? And the kid says, I'm a hard worker. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what, what and, and the problem is there is what they have learned is that they've kind of got this fill-in-the-blank, one-sentence mentality of, this is, you know, this is what we do, right? This is how I answer questions. I've been answering questions like this for 12 years. And now I'm, and now you're, you want me to elaborate on my own? Whereas a lot of kids just expect the teacher to say, okay, can you elaborate on that? Can you give me an example? Whereas the employer doesn't want to do that. But right? the employer 
has expectations of the types of um, oral language that you're going to use. Absolutely. And that, a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, interaction work, conversation work in school. And so uh, what, I, what I really want is I want kids to feel uncomfortable both on the receiving end. Like I want a kid to say that's not enough when they're in a pair share or something uh, or in a conversation. And they will, they, they want to, they'll say, that's not enough. Tell me more. Uh, I also want the kid to even, as they say that I'm a hard worker, I want that kid to feel uncomfortable. Oh, wait, I'm not saying enough. I need to say more. Yeah. Right? I need to elaborate. I need to clarify. I need to support it with, with evidence. Right? So if, imagine having kids you know, come out of school that realize that, and, and some of this is kind of related to Grice's maxims of, you know, don't say too much, don't say too little, be relevant. You know, it's kind of the typical expectations that people have um, out in the world of, of oral language. And, um, you know, it, it, included in there is listening skills, active listening, that, you know, all those things are kind of included. But if we, if we don't have kids practice these things uh, and become, in a sense, kind of experts, you know, through the 10 to 12 years in school that they, that they spend, then they come out and employers and college instructors, they do not want to teach communication skills. That's not, that's not what they're there. And so, a lot of times that kid might not get the job, right? Mm. And so that's a pretty high stakes test. I'm not saying that's, that's the be all end all. You could even extend this to uh, friendships, um, sure. you know, significant others, right? You go out on a date and you, if you don't kind of, if you talk too much, you're in trouble. If you don't <laughs> talk enough, <laughs> you don't talk enough, you might also be in trouble. Um, so, so there's these, there's these expectations of how to communicate out in the world with a wide range of others. Yeah. And, and I think, I think we've missed out on that opportunity in a lot of classrooms because there's a lot of amazingly diverse people surrounding me in this classroom. And you're just saying, read and answer the questions and then write an essay for me. You know, I'm, not, I'm being extreme here, but, um, I think there's a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, amazing ideas and language that can come from, um, you know, having kids engage in these conversations. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I think there's a lot there to uncover. And, um, you know, that, that's something that I would encourage people to go back and listen to again, because you brought up a lot of interesting points, but I will unpack two that I thought were, um, okay. were pretty compelling just for me. One is, is, is the idea of you want students to be sort of uncomfortable with not saying enough and, and you want mm -hmm. other students to be able to to push them to say more. And what I'll say about that is in the two examples that you gave, one being the job interview and one being the date, uh, that discomfort mm -hmm. that you have in a classroom situation is going to be nothing compared to the awkward uh, silence that you get when an employer just waits and sits there for you to mm -hmm. say more. Mm -hmm. And I purposely didn't mm -hmm. say anything after you said that just to kind of demonstrate that's like it's an awkward silence. So I think right. that, that's right. crucial. And I don't think we think enough about that. And the second thing, which is related, uh, is that that sort of discomfort and that expectation that it sounds like you think we should have for our students, and I, and I agree that they should be able to communicate, uh, isn't, you know, the, the, the whole sort of topic around highest aspirations in this podcast is about English language learners, but so many times, every single time when we come back, we're sort of coming to the end here, I always seem to bring up, this is good for all students, right? I mean, no matter where they are, and it's a way to bring everybody together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I don't know how to elaborate on that too much, but um, you're going to find, 
<laughs> well, you're going to find, yeah, say more, please. You're going to find um, that, let's say, you know, native fluent speaker um, benefit from describing ideas and building up ideas with, let's say, the, you know, the intermediate English learner, right, uh, um, or, or, or whomever. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're getting to know one another. There's a, there's a lot of socio-emotional stuff that yep. advantages as well. And again, <clears throat> these don't necessarily translate into test scores. I'm not saying they do. But we also have a job as educators to, you know, prepare kids as well as possible for the future. And that doesn't always mean, you know, being able to choose A, B, C, or D. And so I think, I, I think there is, it's not like we're going to, um, again, severely lower those, those test scores. So, you know, we might as well do this stuff that is really beneficial. And, um, and for all kids, whether or not they get high test scores or low test scores, they need to be able to communicate with a wide range of others. And that means others in terms of their viewpoints, their, their, their points of view, their perspectives on the world, their language levels, um, and their opinions, uh, how they argue. So, so the more that, that <clears throat> and I'm not saying, you know, every lesson, every minute of a lesson is conversation, right? right. I'm saying this is, you know, this is, this is just a, a part of lessons that kids, like you said, if, if you have a culture of communication and conversation that they expect, and a lot of them look forward to it. A lot of them are, you know, actually say, okay, well, you know, the reason I read this and even answered this question was because I knew I had to talk about it with a partner. Yeah. Um, and that's the motivation. Whereas otherwise I would have said, oh, you know, okay, I'll do it. Maybe I'll get a couple points on it for it. But the, um, <clears throat> the, the, the actual processing and the learning, I would say, in a lot of in a lot of cases, comes from uh, putting those ideas into their own words for a real other uh, who is you know listening to them and also has to do something with that information, right? If there's not um, if there's not a need to really do anything, like if they're not really building up an idea, then it's a pretty short-lived conversation. It becomes what I call like a popcorn or a brainstorm yep. session, and um, we want to we want them to go beyond that. So. So, you know, one thing I want to kind of emphasize at the end here is that if kids don't, um, first of all, you know, you know, you need to set up that culture, the safety, all that um, in, in the classroom. But, but also if kids don't approach a conversation thinking, okay, what idea are we going to build up here? Now, what I haven't mentioned is, is if it's an argument type setting, then it's a collaborative argument where they're building up two ideas, they're opposing ideas, right? Let's say it's just two, it could be more. And then they have to build up both and then make uh, kind of a, a rational, I would say, you know, objective decision, which weighs more, which, which, uh, which side has more uh, evidence, better evidence, stronger evidence, or more evidence. And this is something we're not seeing a whole lot out in the world, right? We're not seeing people building up both sides of an argument, you know, kind of respectfully and objectively, and then saying, you know what, this side weighs more. Right. Uh, what we see a lot of is jumping on some side, whatever side it is, even if it's even if you don't really know um, what's going on. You say, okay, that's I guess that's the side I'm supposed to be on, and then I'm just going to argue for it tooth and nail, and not give the other side any um, any kind of building at all, or or, or even a look. And uh, we want kids to be you know to be better than what we're seeing right now out in the world. That's a great point. 
Yeah, I mean, I and and I, what what is more high stakes than that? I mean, we I just mentioned mm-hmm. it's almost embarrassing to mention high stakes tests when you when you, when you mm-hmm. talk about you know the world mm-hmm. in which we live now. And I think you make a really good point and and uh, and and advocate well for the ability to communicate in a way before sort of jumping on one idea and like you said, fighting for a tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm hoping that you know in this process, <clears throat> not not every conversation is an argument, but you know, quite a few of the most interesting ones are, and kids like to get into them. But it's it's really, and I, I'm really, <clears throat> I really promote, you know, parking your initial opinion in the back of your mind until you build up both sides with your partner or partners. Even if yeah. the whole class discussion, same thing. We're going to build up both sides, and then we're going to decide, you know, which side would. Now, at the end, we might decide on different things because we have different values. The idea of evaluate is the skill you would use, right, for the evaluate the, the weight of the evidence on each side. Um, and then I might value something differently than you do, but at least we make that clear. And so I suddenly get to know your values. You get to know mine. And you know, maybe we agree to disagree at the end, but we didn't start off you know, in, in a kind of a competition or a, a fight. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I love that we're bringing this beyond sort of beyond the classroom and beyond certainly beyond assessment and beyond grading. Um, because I think that's really important for people to hear it as much as I have like 25 follow-up questions to that we are sort of low on time. So I want to, I want to ask you a couple more questions and, and wrap it up here. And these questions are questions I ask everyone. And this next one, um, it, when I ask it to many people, they actually mention your work. So I'm interested to see what you say about this. And that is, um, is there a book or a resource that has influenced you, um, either personally or professionally that you'd like to share with, uh, with, with the listeners? Yeah, I have I have several. I mean, one is a classic, you know, called Classroom Discourse by Courtney Kasdan that I think is uh, um, important to read. Also, work by Neil Mercer. You could just look up several books, um, and, and he's in, um, in England, but um, he he's done some great work on classroom um, classroom language overall. You've also got to look at um, Chin C H I N N and Anderson because they've done some good work on. Um, Collaborative argument, collaborative argumentation, and uh, I don't remember if there's a book or not, but there's some articles that are that are uh, accessible. Um, yeah, Maria Nichols. Also, I don't remember the name of the book, but Maria Nichols has a, a really she's done some great work, especially in elementary school on on, on <clears throat> I think pair and group talk, uh, particularly about literature. But I, I, I think she's um, important to read as well. There's more. <laughs> oh, there's always more. We got a good list there, though, and we'll, and we'll, as always, I'll put, I'll put those on the uh, on the show notes so people can um, access them. And uh, most people who who listen to this, and certainly people who come on, are familiar with your work. But if they're not, uh, and they'd like to learn more about uh, the the topics that we just really got a chance to touch on today, um, how could they learn more about the work you're doing? Well. You know, my website is, I would say it's so-so. Uh, I don't, I don't <clears throat> upkeep it extremely well, but there are, there are definitely some things and some resources, um, particularly kind of graphic organizers and certain tools that you can download for free, and that's uh, jeffzweers.org. And so you can just, and there's also some videos on there as well. Um, you know, you'll see a, a couple of videos of, of collaborative argumentation using something called an argument balance scale. So yeah, there's some things I think you could get from there um, that would be helpful. Great. Well, Jeff, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and sharing mm-hmm. some of your 
of your work and your opinions and your ideas with us. Uh, I'm sure that uh, listeners will take a lot out of this and look forward to, to future collaboration. Great. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.